0: is in the zone your home for salina sports talk high school sports kansas wesleyan and bethany KU K state and wichita state wait is there anything these guys don't cover you're in the zone
1: Welcome into a Monday edition of In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. We are also live on the FM dial, as we often are, 106.7 FM. Um, Busy weekend of football, lots to get to, but James, what do you say we start with the Chiefs? Because... There were there were some mixed emotions in this in this room on Friday. Uh, you weren't real confident in the Chiefs' uh, ability to win this game. It was kind of a weird spot, and it started off like you were dead right, like the Chiefs were down ten nothing <laughs> early, uh, and I was getting a little bit nervous. But credit to me, I had the wherewithal to not panic. And I realized that the Chiefs have gotten off to some slow starts in some games this year already and have come back to win. So I live bet the Chiefs at plus 5.5 and, and never had to sweat ever again because they ended up winning and winning comfortably at San Francisco yesterday, 44-23. to 23. Uh, the Chiefs outscored Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners 30-10 to 10 in the second half uh, after what was, again, a first half that was up and down, left a little bit to be desired and made me a little nervous. Uh, but ultimately, the Chiefs are now 5-2. and two. And they look like they're getting healthier, which is good, because they're even heading into a bye week. So, lots of good things coming out of that win for the Chiefs in San Francisco last night.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we're starting with the Chiefs, because it was not a great weekend for KU or K-State football. More on that later on as we progress throughout the week. But um, this was, to me, Jackson, by far, by far, not even close, the most impressive Chiefs performance of this season. And you're right. It didn't start out great. But once Kansas City figured it out and got some momentum, they were just unstoppable. That looked like a team that is capable of winning the Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes, when he plays within himself, I was so frustrated by some of his throws in the Buffalo game. When he plays like that, when he plays within himself, and I know all the, the no-look passes and the the flip passes and the behind-the-back stuff and all that's really left-handed, that stuff shows up on highlights and is is once in a generation uh, quarterback play but he also makes a lot of mistakes when he tries to do that stuff and so when he plays within himself he is the, the best quarterback in the NFL and, and like I said a, a generational talent the guy had 423 passing yards against the number 1 defense in the NFL that is what you know uh, uh, I was just stunned by you know San Francisco by far, the number one defense in the NFL in total defense, number two in scoring defense, number two in uh, third down defense, and the Chiefs racked up 529 yards against them. And I think a lot of it had to do with as good as Patrick Mahomes was. Kansas City finally got the ground game going with Jerick McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, even Isaiah Pacheco had some nice carries. They finished with 112 yards on the ground. And the Chiefs had a really high first-down success rate when they ran the football, which made everything easier. They could take some shots downfield. They were 6-for-9 on third down. If that Chiefs offense is is what we see the rest of the season – this is a team that's going to be in the mix for the Super Bowl, no doubt about it. That was a, a statement
1: win for Kansas City. Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco was the starting running back, yep. by the way, made his first true start. He only carried the ball eight times, but averaged over almost five and a half yards per carry, uh, which was encouraging to see. Edward Zelair. Uh, also had over five yards of rush, which was good. And, and I mean, I was just really encouraged, even though they didn't run the ball a ton, they ran it efficiently when they needed to. Uh, and that's exactly what they needed because it opened up the passing game for what was the best uh, passing attack the Chiefs have unleashed this season Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez Scantling all had over 100 yards and Travis Kelsey was nearly in that party as well he had 98 yards receiving and I, I believe it's the first time the Chiefs have ever had two different receivers with over 100 receiving yards in a game of course with Travis Kelsey being a tight end that makes it a little bit different but they almost had 300 yard receivers in the same game in uh, as far for as I'm concerned, they did. I mean, 98 yards, ho hum, whatever. That's a really good game still uh, for Travis Kelsey. But the, the Chiefs just exposed the the 49ers all over the place. I mean, they the pass rush was nasty. They got a safety. They sacked and, and forced Jimmy Garoppolo to throw a pick, and, and he fumbled at one point. Like everything that the Chiefs needed to do, probably against Buffalo was exactly what they did against San Francisco. And I'm completely with you. If they play like that, if they play like that against, you know, the good teams, against the in teams in the playoff, that's absolutely a team that is capable of winning the Super Bowl. This is a performance like that wins against Buffalo last week. The Chiefs didn't play what I considered to be a great game and they still had chances to win that game. If they play like that against Buffalo, they win that game and I feel very confident in saying that.
0: Yeah. And you're right in the in the fact that um, that, it, that it was two receivers over 100 yards. It was the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career that he's had two different guys over 100 yards and it not be Kelsey or Tyreek Hill as, as one of the two, which is a pretty obvious stat because it's always been those two guys. <laughs> but bottom line is, it was super encouraging to see Valdez Scantling, who not only caught three passes for 111 yards, he had a big block that sprung Clyde Edwards E. Lair for that touchdown. Um, he also had a big block on Juju Smith's Schuster's long pass play right around the five yard line that, that got him into the end zone. Smith Schuster's coming alive, you know, and they've got him dirt cheap. Smith Schuster's yeah. on a one year contract for like $2 million, and he had seven catches, 124 yards, and a touchdown. That's the Juju that we remember from like 2018 when he had his breakout year in Pittsburgh. So super encouraged. Uh, the defense, I thought played, you know, you look at the defense gave up 23 points and sure, that's enough for San Francisco to win, you know, nine out of 10 times against whoever they play because their defense is so good, but the defense made huge plays. And then once the offense got such a big lead, the defense kind of, you know, sat back and and uh, let some things happen that that maybe they wouldn't if it was a closer game. And 10 of those 23 points came in the first quarter. So all in all, just like I said, a really impressive win Hard to, to tell how that would stack up against Buffalo because Buffalo was on a bye week. So we don't really have a, a game to look at in terms of them and, and how they're playing at this exact moment in time. But going into a bye week, couldn't feel better about where Kansas City is sitting. We just, Chiefs need Buffalo to drop a couple games at some point in time because I think that home field advantage is going to be critical uh, in the playoffs. But if the defense plays like that, the Chiefs are going to have a chance, even if it is in Buffalo in January?
1: I, I certainly don't think it's out of the question. Buffalo drops a game here or there. I mean, nobody's perfect already. They already lost a game at Miami, a Miami team that, by the way, should have probably lost last night to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They didn't score these in the second half. They had three or four different interceptions, would-be interceptions, get dropped. Uh, so that tells me that anybody can beat anybody, and I will maintain that uh, with the way that the NFL continues to look, and Buffalo is on a bye this week, but they'll be back in action next week, and I believe it's Sunday Night Football. They, yeah, Sunday Night Football against the Packers, so a team that's struggled in Green Bay, but wouldn't be shocked if Aaron Rodgers went into Buffalo and got a win. So it certainly could happen. But let's keep things in the AFC West for a little bit and, and talk about how the Chiefs got another help, um, helpful hand in that regard because. The Chargers played a team that I thought was due for some regression in the Seattle Seahawks yesterday, but the Chargers looked out of sorts again. Like this is the second straight week where I just thought they did not look like a good team. Uh, they dropped the game to the Seahawks. They're now four and three. So the Chiefs are alone in first place and. I just feel very confident about the Chiefs' ability to lock up this this division and do it pretty quickly because if the Chargers can't beat the Seahawks, by the way, um, the Seahawks are in now in first place in the NFC West, which I didn't have on my bingo card. Uh, but if, if the Chargers can't beat the Seahawks and they've got at Atlanta, at the San Francisco coming up. Then they play the Chiefs again. They go to the Arizona Cardinals, to the Las Vegas Raiders, home against the Dolphins. They have the Rams on the schedule. They have to go two-mile high still. like There's a couple more losses on that schedule right now. And the Chiefs have the ability to just run away with this division because as much as I feel a lot more confident in the Raiders here the last couple of weeks, they're they're in too big of a hole right now. They're 2-5. and five. They'd need a lot of things to go their way to win the, the, the division. And the Broncos team that I saw yesterday, that's just not happening. It's just not. We can talk about the Broncos now too because they, they had Russell Wilson out with an injury and they start Brett Rippon and that team looked exactly the same. Wasn't better, wasn't worse. It was just as pedestrian as they've been. The defense kept them in the game and they had opportunities, but again, just that Broncos team is a whole lot of blah. Yeah, I agree. And I think I would I would almost go on record to
0: say that the Chiefs have the division locked up. I mean, I have much bigger aspirations for Kansas City. I'm looking at, is this team going to play in the Super Bowl? And who are the other threats in the AFC? In terms of the division, I'm with you. I actually I picked Seattle to win that game outright. I, I didn't think the Chargers looked very good two weeks ago. I think Justin Herbert is still a little bit beat up. Um, He doesn't have a very good offensive line in front of him. They're without a couple of starters, including Slater, the, the guy they drafted, who was all pro as a rookie last year out of Northwestern. Um, Keenan Allen is beat up. Mike Williams is now going to miss a couple of weeks. He had a high ankle sprain late in the game. The Seahawks are explosive offensively. I just felt like that was a terrible matchup. Denver is Denver. We know what's going on there. Don't need to uh, spend a lot of time on the Broncos. Uh, The team that I think will finish second in the division are the Raiders. They were in a close one through about a quarter and a half with the Texans, and then they just flipped a switch. Josh Jacobs is, is... Playing at a Pro Bowl level at tailback, I think he had a buck twenty-five again on the ground. Derek Carr is limiting his mistakes. Um, He's getting more on the same page with his his receivers. The defense is improving, and again, that's a team that started one and four and very easily could have been four and one or even five and zero. They've got a ton of close losses, so. Um, I think they're the second best team in the division. And the trade deadline is approaching. You know, you saw the 49ers make a big splash on Friday and pick up McCaffrey. What are the Chiefs going to do? Odell Beckham Jr. has been spotted in Kansas City. Um, are the Chiefs going to bring him in? At, at this point, I think the Chiefs can compete with what they have. If they do go after a, a big, high profile guy that's. that's you know, in his 30s, on the back half of his career, kind of like they did with Melvin Ingram last year. I would like to see him target another pass rusher. I think the secondary is good enough. I think with a healthy Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. back at linebacker, I think they're fine there. Carlos Dunlap, who they brought in to be this year's Melvin Ingram, hasn't quite lived up to that billing. So if they're going to make a move, I'd rather it be that than Odell Beckham Jr. How about you?
1: I personally... I I agree. I think that it would be far more likely that the Chiefs make a move to trade for a guy like Brian Burns of the Carolina Panthers than to sign Odell Beckham Jr. Because as much as the offense right now maybe lacks a bigger name outside of Patrick Mahomes, they've got enough. They've proven they've got enough to put up points. Proved it yesterday. Literally yesterday. But defensively, They've, they've continued to improve and impress me, even for what I I expected them to do. I, I think that yesterday proved that they're a very capable defense, uh, but if they were to add either a, a really good pass rusher, like a defensive end like Brian Burns, you could probably get him at a somewhat discounted price right now because the Panthers are are absolutely in fire sale mode um i think that they got a a king's ransom for christian mccaffrey last week uh so i think that they would be definitely willing to grab a couple more draft picks and fully put this year just in terms of let's get get out of this year find our new head coach and put all our basket or all our eggs in the basket of preparing for the future. So I think the Chiefs could get a really good price for a guy like Brian Burns to really just take the defense to a whole nother level. And they did. They cleared some cap space. Like they have the ability to afford a more expensive guy, whether that's a free agent signing or to trade for a guy like Brian Burns. Like they're they're doing everything they need to do. To get ready for that move i just don't know what brett veach is thinking whether it's offense or defense but personally i would definitely prefer a move that is defense oriented i just that's the area for need even though they've played pretty well
0: well and i was actually just looking at the chiefs financial situation yesterday as, as they started to pull away from san francisco and the chiefs with the the move that they made to to take travis kelsey's uh, contract and turn it into a signing bonus or whatever they did, it freed up about $5 million for right now. Okay, so they've got like $5.5 million to spend right now. For next season, currently they're sitting with almost $27 million in cap space. Now, if they're going to re sign Orlando Brown Jr., that's going to be a decent chunk of that. But after him, Jackson, they don't have any big name free agents. You're talking about Colin Sanders, the defensive tackle. You're talking about Derek Noddy, who was a third-round draft pick like five years ago. It's probably time for him to go. Uh, Tershell, uh, or, or Tershawn Wharton's another name. Juan Thornhill is a free agent. Rashad Fenton is a free agent. The Chiefs just drafted a, a brand-new secondary this past draft. I don't know that they re-sign either one of those guys, and if they do, they get them for cheap. There's not a lot of Big dollars sitting on this roster whose contracts are up for next season. So I'm excited to see what they do with the trade deadline, and then with some room to work with for next
1: year, could be a, a really special offseason for KC. It could, and we got a lot to still kind of figure out um, with this because again, tra- when's the trade deadline? Two, three weeks from now? I don't. It's you know, it's not the, that far. It's NFL not far. Tra-
0: yeah, it always messes me up. But I and, never and, know exactly what. By the day way, the Panthers is. apparently. This just broke today. Reportedly, reportedly they turned down two first round draft picks for Brian Burns from the Cleveland Browns. That that feels stupid if they actually did that. You mean you got a chance to get two first round draft picks for Brian Burns and you say no. I don't know. And Burns
1: wants out. I mean he yeah. he's saying yep. trade me. So Um, So does DJ Moore, but they basically told him he's not going to get traded. They considered him, I think, a foundational piece is what I read uh, because they want to build around him for the future. But, again, lots to figure out between then and now. Trade deadline anyways. But uh, we got to get to another break. When we come back, we'll talk some college football. That's coming up on the other side here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. the zone is powered by spartan roofing and exteriors they specialize in roofing guttering siding windows and doors for both commercial and residential work you can visit spartan roofing and exteriors.com to schedule a free inspection or a project consultation today that is spartan roofing and exteriors.com especially by the way with the weather uh, being how it is today how it's supposed to be in the coming weeks as we get deeper into fall closer to winter give them a call Check out their website. Make sure your roof and your your windows, your doors are all ready to go. Don't want to spend extra money on uh, heating your house because you can't keep it insulated with those door cracks and those drafty windows. Give them a call. They'll help you out. That's for sure. I am Jackson Schneider with James Westling. Today, we just talked in the first segment today about the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs, especially a little bit of Broncos, AFC West, etc. But let's talk about some college football now because it was a tough Saturday for the Jayhawks and for the Wildcats. We can start with K-State because that was really the the big marquee game of Saturday. They played at 7 o'clock and unfortunately, I didn't get to watch a ton of it at all i read a lot of the recaps watched some highlights but uh really it sounds like the big story james was just the injuries k-state piled up several of them they were down to i think their third string quarterback at one point and they had a lead they were playing really well in the first half and it just they ran out of gas with the players that they had
0: yeah that that was definitely um a big storyline and uh if you're keeping score at home, here are the players that uh, missed snaps against TCU due to injuries that were either reaggravated in the in the first half of that game or actually sustained uh, on Saturday. Adrian Martinez. Uh, so Will Howard comes in at quarterback, looks phenomenal. He gets knocked out of the game. So K State's down to Jake Rubley for about three series or so. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, Daniel Green. K-State's best defensive player um, outside of NUDK Uzama, who is next on the list, by the way. Felix NUDK Uzama, preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, only played about half the game. Josh Hayes, who's been K-State's most reliable member of the secondary this season, missed most of the second half. Ben Sennett, K-State's fullback, slash H-back. Remember, Jax Deneen is already out for the year, uh, so you're down to your third string fullback. Um, And K-State still somehow, some way, was at least competitive in the second half. Um, Things that were frustrating, you know, just from a fan perspective, K-State in the second half got super conservative offensively. Basically, just hand it to Deuce and and hope that he can do something. TCU had eight, nine guys in the box at times, and K-State was still running the ball. And that was even after Will Howard came back into the game. Um, But the bottom line is, TCU, even though they've... Played against opponents, backup quarterbacks, like four of their last five games. Um, And the one starter that played all the way through was Spencer Sanders. And he was was a shell of himself in that second half. Like 60%, yeah, of himself in the second half. Um, TCU scored a touchdown right before halftime to make it 28-17. Got the ball to start the third quarter. Scored again to make it 28-24. And you felt things shift right there. Uh, Something that really just kinda bothered me about the the whole K State TCU, I guess, kind of unspoken rivalry that has developed is did you see that like the student section was just ridiculous at TCU? They were throwing beer uh, th- beer cans and beer bottles at the K-State sideline. They actually had to come over the PA and stop the game and, and make an announcement. I didn't see that. Uh, oh. It was in the second half. And things were getting chippy between the, the, the two teams, um, but just very un-TCU-like, I would say. So, yeah, it sucked, man. I, honestly, um, I'm really disappointed, really just bummed that K-State couldn't win that game. Because I think if K-State's healthy... Going into that game, they they definitely were the better team. I really felt like that through and through. They locked down Quentin Johnston, who's uh, one of the best receivers in the country, made things very difficult for him. And uh, you know, it, it it's just one of those things that what could have,
1: should have, you know, been for K State. Yeah, it's tough, but at the end of the day, K State still only has one conference loss, and they control their own destiny in that. I mean, with the Big Twelve format the way it is. Uh, just take care of your business. I mean, obviously, being healthy is a big part of that, uh, and we don't know, I guess, the extent of some of the injuries that that K-State is going to be dealing with on that long list that you gave. But K-State and Oklahoma State are the only teams in the Big 12 with one loss right now, and they're both to TCU. So at this point, you're just playing against Oklahoma State and then taking care of business. And the good news for K-State is they come home against Oklahoma State who just had another really tough game that they won they found a way to beat Texas and ultimately take Texas out of that conversation just a little bit for now obviously uh, with Oklahoma State and K-State having one loss there's a a mess of teams with two losses in the league Baylor Texas and Texas Tech who aren't out of it Uh, but I think that Oklahoma State is just as banged up as K-State and their quarterback situation is Spencer Sanders played and played well, but he is not 100%. You can see that he's not who he was in the first couple weeks of the season. So if K-State can execute and, and have a few things maybe go their way, a win against OSU goes a mile In the big 12 standings so they're certainly not out of it yeah for sure and there were still like i said a
0: lot of positives to take away you know k-state had seven completions in that game most of them by will howard if not all of them of 20 plus yards against tcu k-state ranks eighth in the country in yards per pass over the last three games but in the second half they didn't take any shots downfield and I know that you had Rubley in at quarterback for several series. Will Howard hurt his left shoulder after a defender fell on him and missed most of the second half. And so maybe they just weren't comfortable with him taking shots downfield. But a lot of K-State fans are frustrated by the second-half play calling. K-State just got too conservative. Now, on offense, K-State averaged 5.3 yards per carry. That was the most allowed by TCU this season. They averaged 7.4 yards per play and 10.1 yards per pass. Those were the second highest allowed by TCU on the year. However, eight of K-State's 11 drives were four plays or less. Okay, So, essentially, eight of K-State's 11 drives were almost three and outs. Uh, The defense was just on the field way too much. And K-State's defense actually played really well. Uh, They held TCU to a season-low 3.8 yards per carry, um, a season-low 6 yards per play. But in critical stages, the K-State defense couldn't get off the field on third and fourth down. TCU was 12 for 23 on third and fourth down on Saturday. Um, And K-State had been really good this season. I think a lot of that was not having NUDK Uzama out there on some critical third and fourth downs, uh, not having Daniel Green at linebacker on the field on some critical third and fourth downs. Uh, Those are veteran guys that make a lot of plays in those situations, and they were hurt in the second half. So now... You know you're right. I think K State has a chance still to climb back and play in the Big 12 Championship. Remember, it's the top two teams. There's no divisions. Yep. Uh, but they got they got to be healthy. And we didn't even know that Adrian Martinez was dinged up going into that game. Like uh, we were more worried about Deuce Vaughn. So K State's been pretty quiet in terms of their injury information, which I'm fine with. But uh, just means there's a lot of question marks surrounding all these injuries.
1: On the Kansas side of things, they started that game down 28-3 and getting absolutely dominated. Baylor beat the snot out of Kansas in the first half, but the second half was completely different. KU outscored Baylor 20-7. to They actually scored 20 in a row to get right back in that game in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they needed one more stop to give themselves a chance and they weren't able to do it. They ended up giving the, up that lone second half touchdown to Baylor for them to pull away for what was from a 5 point game to the 12 point game that it ended up being. Uh, but I will say a little bit disappointing for Kansas. I, I thought I would get we would get a little bit of a better showing, especially from their defense. Baylor has struggled at times this year offensively and their quarterback situation was kind of a question mark but uh, they just ran the the ball all over kansas ran it everywhere and they had no answer and in the first half at least the second half was was much much better but if kansas were able to perform like that in the f- first half it's a i think it's a different game uh but now kansas has lost three straight they head into a bye week this week before going back home to host oklahoma state and uh try as they might, to get that elusive sixth win to secure a bowl game. But, man, with every game that passes now, it gets a little bit more difficult for Kansas to get that sixth win.
0: Yeah, and this was just an awful matchup for KU because – Baylor's the best team in the league in the trenches. They have the best offensive line in the Big 12. They returned all five starters from last year's team that was a a finalist for the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the nation's best offensive line group. It's a collective award. Uh, And again, like I said, they had all, all five starters back. Baylor rushed for 273 yards, had 437 yards of total offense. They dominated, statistically, but, to KU's credit, and I think, again, this says a lot about Lance Leipold and how this team fights, they didn't go away. And they just kept chipping away. And with six and a half minutes to go in the game, it was 28-23. And I actually thought with the momentum that KU had, they were going to win the football game. Um, but Baylor got some some big first downs on the ground. Baylor's not as strong, and you alluded to this with their quarterback, Shapen, who's an OK quarterback, but he's not elite by any means. Baylor's not as strong at the skill positions as they've been the last 5 or 10 years, but again, they're really good up front on the offensive line, and they're really strong on the defensive line, held KU to 53 yards on the ground and only 288 yards of total offense, which is why, again, it was just a terrible matchup for KU because Baylor is so good in the trenches. Well,
1: we got to get to another break again, but um, we'll talk more about K State and KU throughout the rest of the week. We'll have our regular guests, Brian Haney and Wyatt Thompson, on to just continue those conversations. Uh, But yeah, tough weekend for the Cats and the Jayhawks. They both lose, uh, but. More football will be played. We'll talk about that uh, as the week goes on. But again, let's get to a break. When we come back, we've got more audio from Big 12 Basketball Media Day coming up right after this. He's James Westling. I'm Jackson Schneider. And this is In The Zone on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM.
0: our coverage of Big 12 Media Days from the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City. I'm James Westling. joined now by Kevin Lehman, who's a good friend and an analyst for ESPN. Kevin and I have done some games together on radio uh, the last couple of years, and Kevin is actually one of my broadcasting like core memories of when we did Iowa and Ohio State on radio, and I drove through one of the worst snowstorms that, that I've ever seen in my lifetime, like a foot of snow, to try to get to the game. It took me over eight hours, what should have taken me maybe three or four, but somehow, someway, we got it done.
2: We were on the phone. I was trying to give you <laughs> what highway to avoid and what town to go around. But James, you had the equipment, because we couldn't go on right. air unless you showed up, because uh, and what'd you write about 30 minutes before tip
0: yeah yeah and there was no backup plan I mean you couldn't have just (laughs) called in I mean it was it had to happen and if I uh, I
2: remember that day Ohio State beat Iowa it was a great in Iowa City great game
0: and it went right down to the wire but they shut down the interstate I mean they completely shut down the interstate what is that that runs across uh, Iowa? I-80 I-80 and I, I ended up having to take all these back roads and my little toyota camp. but we made it we got it we got it it done. wasn't like you had a
2: four no four-wheel drive vehicle no. either i remember i was trying to get you around newton somehow i, yes. like, I got a map yeah. and i'm saying dude you got to take a left here, highway six. Oh <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah i still i took some pictures of that trip and uh i still i share that story as many times as i can i, I
2: tell you what james that it happens more than you think yeah in the state of iowa when oh, I wind believe starts it starts blowing i believe snow it comes in Yeah. You got to love your basketball in that state.
0: Well, you shouldn't have to worry about that today. How long of a trip was this for you coming
2: down from? Uh, Like four and a half from Iowa City. Okay. I live just a little bit north of Iowa City, a little town of North Liberty, so I come down here every year. Awesome. Uh, Chance to catch up with some old friends, old Bob Huggins, and I go way back. He, He was an assistant to Eldon Miller at Ohio State, and I worked for Eldon at Northern Iowa, so Bob would come out every summer and do our camps, and we'd meet up in the final four. He's we always got some good stories. And of course, TJ Otzelberger at Iowa State's a good friend, also.
0: All right, Kevin, have you ever been to um, I'll call it a, a social event with Bob Huggins or the, any any stories you could tell us that are still somewhat PG? I don't know if
2: I can do it on air, but <laughs> I had actually had Oklahoma, uh, was Oklahoma State at West Virginia one time for ESPN, and uh, it was a basketball alumni day. It was it was an afternoon tip, and he said, "Hey, we got a little party for the alumni." <laughs> so i got to visit that that was that was quite a quite a deal there this is after the game this is after the game it was yeah i think it was a one o'clock tip so oh, i wasn't great. flying out the next day so it worked out uh, just famously for me but i gotta oh. got meet some of coach huggins old teammates man from oh, west virginia man. some mountaineers that's a that is, i don't know if you've ever been to that venue in morgantown that is, i have a, that is a great place to to call a game from yep
0: it was during covid so there was nobody there but i could tell that it <laughs> gets loud it gets loud so man, great to see you by the way. So glad that we that we ran into yeah. each other. What what have you been up to? You were at
2: Missouri Valley Media Days earlier this week. Now you're at, you're at Big Twelve. Actually, I have, what I I do a lot of Valley games, so I've kind of toured around the Valley trying to look at the uh, the teams. I was at Missouri State last night. Northern Iowa had their media day Monday, and I was, you know, I was all the way down to Murray State uh, last week. Because you know what's happening, James, transfer portal. Yeah people leaving and going our businesses our job has gotten tougher because there's new rosters you got to learn those names kind of get some backstories on players so that's what i've been trying to do because i'm going to have the full package on espn of the of the valley and uh, hopefully maybe some big 12 games also
0: well that's a great point um you were telling me earlier that the valley uh had five or six guys that transferred out to Power five programs. They have
2: five just go to the SEC.
0: Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Just the SEC. Yeah, just five the SEC. So, so. how's the how's the Valley the Valley always finds a way to be really competitive and farewell in the tournament.
2: Year in and year out. How do well, they do as it? Mitch Holtz says it's America's a Renaissance conference. <laughs> uh yeah, that's that league has reinvented themselves a number of times and what's interesting is Loyola leaves for the A ten, but the league's better because they've added Belmont and Murray State along with UIC. So you've got two basketball-centric schools in Murray State and Belmont leading this, uh, joining the Valley. And I think it's a huge year for the Valley because they need to get back to being a multiple-bid league. Uh, so they've got uh, – and that's always been a battle ever since Wichita State mm-hmm. and Creighton left. So it would be a interesting year to, to follow the Valley. Um, do you think that they can get back to a multiple-bid league? I really do. What, ha- what has to happen uh, – is those leagues in the bottom have to up their schedule and and get their net higher because what's hurting it is if you're if you're playing a league at the bottom the, the net suffers drastically if you're playing a big a game in February because it's, it's so tough for those what what's happening you know I coached at Northern Iowa and back when I coached there James we had a home and home with University of Iowa yep we had a home and home with Iowa State yep even had a home and home with Nebraska mm-hmm. those days are gone so for those teams to get uh, a major conference opponent you got to meet them in a neutral court. you got to go play at their place. Uh, but I'm seeing more teams now in those mid-major levels like Valley's playing a lot of A-10 games. So that's a quad one, quad two if you go play St. Bonaventure at Bonaventure. You go to Richmond to play Richmond. That's what they're doing now to try to up the net because we know you know, that becomes a numbers game to, see, to get in the NCAA tournament.
0: You brought up Wichita State and you covered the Shockers for ESPN back when, when Mitch Holtis was doing games and uh, they were a, a contender year in and year out in the Valley. An interesting topic in in our part of the state is, should Wichita State have ever left the Valley? Especially when you look at what they did just a season ago in the AAC. I know they're making more money, but is it really
2: that much more than what they had in the Valley? Well, I think about this in the American now. Next year, Houston, gone. gone. Central Florida, gone. Cincinnati, gone. So there's three marquee basketball programs mm-hmm. joining the Big 12. So it's kind of been, you know, that, that shifting that you mentioned earlier about, about leagues. Uh, so, you know, I, I couldn't tell you even who the American added, although they've probably had some, some quality teams. Uh, but, you know, that's it's interesting now to see what's the, the realignment. I don't think it's stopped yet uh, in college basketball. Well, obviously, because we've got Oklahoma and Texas could be their last year in the Big 12, if not the, the year after.
0: Yeah, and to answer your question, Kevin, um, the American is picking up I want to say four schools from the Conference USA. Yes, But they're not Cincinnati. They're not Houston level. I mean, they're just not. They're not Central Florida level. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how that all plays out. Well, James, if you do the metrics
2: and you put Houston last year. Yeah, they're bringing
0: in six. Here's the six. UAB,
2: Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, and UTSA. Yeah, so the question is. Does Wichita State wish they were still in the Valley? Right. Because they don't have football. Right. So now puts you put yourself back in a basketball-centric league, which the Valley is. Yep. But, but it, let me throw this metric on you. And I heard this last year, that if you would have added Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida, BYU to the Big 12 last year, and you know how hard, good their metrics are as a league, would even have been better last year if you add those teams. Yeah. So you're going to look at a Big 12 that's going to be even stronger in the future when they bring in those additions.
0: Well, and, and that's talking with Kevin Lehman. He's a, an analyst for ESPN on TV. That's one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you about. Ken Palm just came out with his first rankings yesterday or the day before. And he has the Big 12's preseason RPI as the highest, the third highest preseason RPI for any conference ever, ever. I mean, what does that say about how deep this league could be?
2: Well, some coaches made some good points out of this morning that, you know, the Big 12 is the last few years has always been in the metrics, the number one league in the country. But now they've proved it on the court. Bill Selfie even made that comment by winning back-to-back national championships with Kansas this past 2022 and Baylor before that. Even if you go back, they've had the last three years teams in the, in the final four. So they're showing what the metrics are true now that this is the best league in the country and has been, the, the number they threw up on the screen was that the net for the entire league was 32. The next highest, 57. Oh, wow. So that's the big difference in, in the Big 12 and how strong a league that is compared to the rest of the, those major conferences in the country.
0: When we look at this league and the preseason rankings and the polls and the teams 1 through 10, you know, it's, it's probably Kansas and Baylor at the top. But we were trying to figure out, I mean, who's going to be the worst team in the league? Like, I mean, there's just the, – the floor is still so high for this conference.
2: That's what makes it so good as a league because uh, just what we talked about, the Valley has problems, and when you play bottom teams in the bottom, it hurts your net. It doesn't happen in the Big 12. I mean, if you're going to go up against, you know, K-State, West Virginia. That's a battle. And look at last year, Iowa State, any seventh, Sweet 16 team. There's your 7th place team in the Big 12 going to Sweet 16. And that's what made last year so special was the tournament
0: success that you referenced there a couple of times. All right, Kevin, so when you look at the Big 12, who is a team, or teams if you want to go that route, that could surprise people this season?
2: Well, I, don't, there's, I think the team I'm most intrigued with to see what's happened with Texas. Uh, you know, year number two for Coach Beard. He's got Tyree Center transfer from Iowa State. Chris Carr is there and year number two, came from Minnesota. I mean, he's got a, you know, he went that transfer portal. Is this the year Texas can challenge Baylor and Kansas for that league title at the top to see if in year number two if they can move up? Because that's kind of the expectation level for the Longhorns.
0: Yeah, I mean, they got a vote for for a a preseason vote for the Big 12 title. Um, Kevin, you coached at at this level the transfer portal, and these coaches were asked about it all day because you brought up Tyrese Hunter going from Iowa State to Texas. That's got. To, I know they would never say it on the podium, but that's got to just drive a coach crazy. This whole transfer
2: thing within the league. What What are your thoughts on it? Well, they were. There was one reporter asked each coach, six players transferred within the league. Right. You you talk about transferring out of leagues, but imagine like you're you're playing against a guy that you recruited or a former teammate. Uh, is this the way it is now, James? It, and I think you got to uh, you got to uh, adjust to it and live with it and. Uh, it's just such a strange thing that, you know, you compete against him, you got a scam report against him, and then now he hits the portal. And you got to call probably one of your close friends and say, hey, you know, we're interested in your player. But once you enter the portal, it's kind of they're going to be gone. But I think what's even more intriguing is what happens with name, image, and likeness okay. in in this portal because that's not supposed to be recruiting inducement, but I think we all know in the bottom line that's becoming a huge factor for some of these players. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, it's... Well, it's, they can't say that, though, because it's not oh, supposed to be...
0: Like, why can't why can't they say that? <laughs> it shows... It's just... It's crazy to me, the whole thing. Yeah,
2: it's... The it's the world has changed. And you wonder if there's going to be some guardrails put up uh, to try to slow down this portal. I know that we've got windows of where you can enter the portal, and the portal will end. Uh, but it's a strange... T- I think it's a good time in college athletics, but it's certainly changing day-to-day. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things I always really enjoy at these media days is when the head of officials, Curtis Shaw, comes out and talks to us about some of the new rule changes and emphasis. Uh, one thing that he, he brought up was offensive players that do that ridiculous head bob, where they yes. jerk their head back to try to get the attention of the officials now going to be an automatic technical foul. They're, they're also going to be watching, I call it the post-flop uh, down low between post players um, and then, kind of that chip and chunk he called on the the on ball screen it 's kind of hard for me to describe these to our listeners, but can you give a little bit of a visual and, and just what what are your well, thoughts on all these these not, changes?
2: Not a rules change year not a rules change year, but what they want to tighten up these are emph- just emphasis yeah every calls two in. every two years there's is a major rules change year. This okay. is not a year, but last year was, so the step back became legal. It was kind of a joke like if you the euro step, you could actually run with it. Spin move, the step back. Well, it got egregious where people were traveling, so they're going to really concentrate on the pivot foot and clean that up. Even though it's not a rules change year, the one rule that you already mentioned that they are going to change is there's no warning on the flop, whether you head bob or you go down the post. It's going to be automatic, class B technical. So the play will finish. And say I bop my head and I got the ball and I shoot one in and it scored. We're going to count the bucket. It's going to – you're going to shoot uh, – the opponent's going to shoot a one free throw. Then they're going to get point of interruption. They'll get the ball out of bounds.
0: The other thing I liked, he, he brought up – I think I wrote down chip and chunk were two yeah. of the words he used on the on-ball screens, which will help the offense more because you do see that sometimes. Guys will just ride a guy on those on-ball screens all the way, almost out to midcourt at times. And it's like, what can the offensive player do?
2: Well, and also – you're seeing so many of those high handoffs by a post player, and then that handoff man, or he pitches and fouls at the screen. Much more emphasis on making that a legal screen, because I think what his comment was: the handoff man has no rights. Mm-hmm. So once he hands off, he can't stick his shoulder into that defender. Yeah, uh, stick his you know set a screen unless he's got some room to move. So I think that what we're seeing is more off uh, emphasis on freedom of movement, which they say every year, uh, but I think this year you're going to see this follow through throughout the season which should make the game a little more free-flowing and more advantage to the offense
0: all for that all right Kevin uh, before we wrap up want to get your thoughts on KU and K-State our two local teams for us in Kansas
2: well I think even though Baylor is picked to win the Big 12 is still going to run through Lawrence who's going to win the Big 12 Uh, you know Bill Self is he's bringing back some key players he's brought in some transfers uh, and you know they have their tradition. It's tough to bet against the Jayhawks. And, yeah. You know K State. Interesting year, rebuilding year. Probably a year where they're going to set their culture. But you hit on it early. I mean, there's going to be no easy wins in this Big 12.
0: You think K State can be a tournament team?
2: It's going to be tough. All right. It's going to be tough. I don't think they have enough talent to get there. And but I think it's going to be another year where you got seven teams in the Big 12 in the big dance when this comes around in March.
0: That's 70% of
2: the league. That's what they did last year. Yeah, yeah. All right, Kevin. Man, great to see you. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) a little better weather conditions this time. (laughs) Just slightly, just slightly. Uh, Good stuff. That's Kevin Lehman. He is an ESPN analyst for college basketball, uh, their TV coverage, and he joins us here from the T-Mobile Center in Kansas City at Big 12 Media Days. Hey, hey, hey,
1: hey, 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 hey.